da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Are you seriously? It's showtime. Welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, ma'am, fam, and VIPs, to another edition of the Mad About Movies podcast, your weekly show for all things cinema. Coming to you again live from Texas tonight, Kent Garrison here at the helm with my cohorts, Brian Gill and Richard Abardin. Hey, guys. What's up, buddy? How's it going? uh, It's going great. And uh, I'm excited to talk Wind River tonight. Um, Mm -hmm. Question for Richard here right off the top. Um, This movie takes place in the forest. Now, where where, where does that (laughs) differ from the woods at all? This is passable, but... Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and <clears throat> normally we, we stick to, uh, a formula on this show where we, uh, we do some movie news. We briefly talk about the movie. We talk, do some movie news. We come back to the movie. We do an in-depth review and then we give grades. But I'm just going to go ahead and skip it. F minus 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 <laughs> terrible. <laughs> there were trees. There were, there was, it was entirely wooded. The entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> just deducting a grade for every, every scene that had the woods yep. involved. Um, no, yeah, no. This was I can deal when I say the woods. I mean a certain. You're, you're more about mythology. Yeah, that's what you don't like the mythology yes. of the woods, like woodland, woodland, yes. fantasy, nymph, creatures, nymphs, 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 and, nymphs. And, and and trolls, <laughs> trolls and stuff. I just yeah. don't. I don't buy gnomes. <laughs> yeah, just don't even get it started on druids. I, I mean, just, yeah, no, it doesn't. Snipes, I actually hate. Snipes, I hate sky hunting. I went to I went I went to Stonehenge and actually just tried to push it down because I hate druids that much. Uh, yeah, no, I yeah I don't. Whatever that subgenre, like I'll put it to you this way: if I'm watching sci-fi fantasy, there needs to be space involved. Otherwise, I don't care. Oh, does that make sense? Maybe. <laughs> I, 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 I can I recognize when things are great. Well, oh, things are, there's like two generous genres of sci-fi. There's like space, uh, sort of social commentary. Uh, Philip K. Dick sci-fi, and then there's like um, dystopian future. Dystopian uh, future. I'm down with all yeah. that. Love all that. Yeah. And then there's like Tolkien stuff, and I just I totally admire it. I think it's awesome, but I'm asleep within seven minutes. Tolkien would be would be fantasy, <laughs> which if I'm yeah, correct. but those are grouped fantasy in fantasy and sci-fi. Are different. They're together, yes. right? No, yeah. they are. That's what I'm saying. I don't care for fantasy. I like sci-fi, but weirdly, I love. Um, I love Britlet, and I like a lot of the stuff that is sort of uh, adjacent to uh, adjacent to that's to fantasy. But just the minute the woods are involved, it's just I'm out. And just I get a bad feeling. I just don't care. There's all the stakes are removed. I feel like anyone can come back to life. There's goblins. There's a lot of stuff about the wind. There's just chapters and chapters and scenes and scenes about wind. How you, how you made it through three movies of The Hobbit, we'll never know. I just that's the entire franchise. I did it. Of Radagast and all this. Stuff. Like I'm telling you, man, I was the only one. Like when we and Brian will just this will maybe make Brian commit harikari. <laughs> but when we read The Hobbit in middle school, it was like the one reprieve where all kids were like, "Oh, finally something I want to read." <laughs> and I was like, "Nope, f this. Uh, can we get more separate piece?" You know, yep. some more. I, I wanted more boring uh, Lord of the Flies or something. I don't know. I just, 
I just can't vibe. I always hated The <laughs> Hobbit, but I like the Lord of the Rings movies. Okay, or I, I admire the Lord of the Rings movies. The Hobbit movies were. I can tell you guys this: we did all three of those for this show, um, and I only saw them for this show. And I, I didn't give them Fs or anything. I can appreciate their goodness, but I, I you know, I would not have gone to see The Hobbit if I didn't do this show. I, there's no way, zero percent chance. Oh, it's funny. Yesterday was uh, Labor Day here in the states, um, so they show a lot of movies on TV, and I was, um, I was channel surfing a little bit, and uh, I saw the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies, had come on TNT or something uh, yesterday afternoon, and I had to like double take. I was like, was there really a Hobbit movie called the Battle of the Five Armies? Because I, I honestly did not know what the third one was yeah. called. I had totally forgotten that, about that uh, movie and how that ended and all that. I always think of Smog and Smog, I mean, the first movie. Yeah. I don't. I yeah, this, the last half of that trilogy has just escaped me. But uh, mm-hmm. woods are out, so wind and rivers are in. Rivers are cool. Down with yeah. rivers. I like. I'm a Montana guy, so I like river runs through it. You know, you like uh, uh, rivers Cuomo. Yep, big Weezer yep. guy. You were. R- I remember river Phoenix. Kent's, rest Kent. in peace. Right. I can had a big Weezer f- period in. Not that Weezer's bad at all now, but you were a big Weezer guy for oh, a few years still. in high school. That was like your band. Still, they. It's so funny because they'll they'll release one bad album and then a less bad album and then a really good album and then one <laughs> terrible album. Like they're on like, it's such a consistent one out of every three or four. One out of every three or four is going to be pretty good. So yeah. I would say if they've released nine albums now, I'd say they have. Three to four strong, quite strong. The rest is 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 dismissible. I think everybody. That's how most bands are, unless um, except for our band. Well, unless you release yeah. one bit, one album every ten years or so. Um, it's hard to LMFAO is not missed yet, <laughs> not one time. So yeah, I don't know true. what you're talking about. Four to George Lines, four for four as well. <laughs> four for four, which is also one of their songs. <laughs> and it was four for four. I made four slam dunks and I had four beers in the back of my truck. And I, I just wrote a four to Georgia Line song. You're welcome. <laughs> now put four some chainmail on. Four by okay, four. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's called four by four. Yep. Mm. There we go. Yep. That's a hit. That's Kent a and hit. I have seriously discussed uh, <laughs> both Kent and I. Well, people know this about Kent, but I also uh, am kind of a musician. And we've talked about seriously starting a bro country band. And just no one would be able to tell, other than our <laughs> listeners that listen to this podcast, which in the grand scheme of things is literally no one, um, <laughs> that it was a bit. It was a bit. There's there'd be no way to tell if we were kidding because remember you can't I wrote tell that whole if the, song these guys about are serious or not. I know. Remember, I wrote that whole song about a creek. I should yeah, try to find crick. that creek. The creek <laughs> down by the creek. For some reason, everybody lives by a creek. There are not that many creeks, guys. <laughs> So many songs about about cricks. Um, man, it's going to be a good time tonight. We have a guest joining us for Wind River. And uh, this is a movie that I was anticipating for a lot of reasons. And uh, it's one that we've gotten a lot of requests for. Listeners have chimed in already on this one. And um, it's, it's a good break from the monotony of summer movie season and the end of summer movie season. And... It's crazy that it's September, uh, the first week of September now, we're talking about a pretty good movie that will be probably in the conversation towards the end. So that's a, it's a nice change. And um, 
Speaking of change, the, the uh, last weekend, I mentioned Labor Day. It was, what, the worst Labor Day weekend movie-wise in 25 years, something like that. It was down 20 or 25% from even from last year um, about what was out at this time. And my response to that is there's nothing out right now. Sorry, yes. everything already Gosh. came out. It's not that this year is bad. It's not that movies are doomed. It's just that this three weeks or, you know, four weeks here, uh, nothing's out. Next week, it comes out, and it's going to make $100 million. And um, everyone's going to see that, and then that's going to kick off kind of the Halloween season and uh, Oscar-type movie season uh, towards the end of the month here and uh, in October. And all the good movies just exited theaters, uh, all the big Spider-Man Homecomings and Wonder Woman's and Baby Drivers and, and Planet of the Apes and those those were in the theaters for the whole summer. Uh, sorry if you didn't go see them, <laughs> but um, right now it's just a weird kind of in-between yes. where you can go see Leap or go see you know, Detroit if you're in one of the 500 cities that's playing it <laughs> right. and that's it. You know, that's the, only, that's the only thing that's out. And then they were showing a, a, a re-release of Close Encounters last night. I went to go see mm-hmm. Wind River Pretty decent showing, but that was all that was out was Close Encounters, Leap, and Cars 3, I think. Uh, that was mm-hmm. pretty much the extent of, of what you it's can be. Perf- perfect trifecta. So, yeah. yeah, just killing it. I'm surprised it was the such a low mm-hmm. weekend at the box office. But again, yeah. don't be alarmed, everyone. We're going to be okay. Going to be okay. I had the exact opposite experience. My Wind River showing was completely packed. Like, I got the maybe the last seat in the theater. Mm-hmm. And then I went and saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind today, and there was the two other people. Yeah. There yeah. was 200 people? Two other people oh, in the two. theater. So, yeah. There was, there was a decent crowd for Wind River for me. There were, it was probably half full, which surprised me. I didn't think I, anyone knew what it was, but um, with going the, on a Monday night, yeah. I, I just think it's hard enough to get people to go to screenings or go to the movies now. I think the whole re-release thing is pretty much everything that I don't know. I felt like that was kind of... I know it's 4K and totally different, but I just feel that's got to be coming to an end soon. Just, It's so hard to get people to see new content. It's an interesting... I I totally see that. I'll say this as well, though. For me, as and we're going to talk about Close Encounters at our next uh, big binge session, so I'm not going to get too far into it, but for me, you know, I'm not 40 as... I mean... I am, but yeah. I wasn't, uh, yeah, but uh, contrary to popular belief, I'm not 40. And so I've never seen, as a Spielberg fan that I am, I've never seen uh, Closer Encounters in, in theaters. And so it was really cool to be able to experience that. I just think there's no way, the idea of like, we're going to, we're just going to pump these out every couple we're gonna we're gonna pump out an old movie every three months or something and make a bunch of money off of it there's no way that that is going to i mean it made like three million dollars this weekend so to your point yeah. rich like you're not they're not gonna be able to this cannot be like the way of the future but i think there is a small market for older movies and then that will continue as you know as we get older i don't know i i think there's something to be said for it's the 40th anniversary of a particular movie let's give it one week in theaters and you know, some people will see it some people won't, but we'll see how it goes. And, and that's not, I don't think that's the worst plat, the worst way to do this, you know, moving forward. Yeah. It's, it's just tough. Like, uh, it, unless you're on your local theaters 
app or whatever, how are you going to know what, about these re-releases? I just, I just never know when they're out. I, they happen all the time. Uh, you know, Cinemark does these summer movie nights or vintage movie nights where every week they're seriously showing a classic movie mm-hmm. on in the big screen, whether it's you know projected in thirty-five millimeter or not. I doubt. You know, actually, no, they're not doing that. But um, they at least go to the extent of appreciating older movies and, and putting them out there. I just don't ever know when they're playing and I don't go on the app every single day and see, well, wonder what my local cinema is playing tonight. Oh, look, Close Encounters at 830. I, I would have never known, you know, unless uh, we knew we were doing this throwback episode. We knew about the anniversary and or I was following, you know, DreamWorks on Twitter or something and I would have known that way, you know. Um, it's just very tough for these to get out there. We mentioned the the Terminator um, re-release that came out two weeks ago, I guess, at this point. That's already gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just didn't know about it. I would have loved to seen Judgment Day in 3D. I think that would have been pretty cool, but didn't know about it, and it was um, too limited for for us to uh, take advantage of. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, uh, again, it's it's cool to be talking about this at the beginning of September, um, although this was one of the worst weeks. Uh, it looks like Logan Lucky is completely gone now. I think it, the my local theater, as of yesterday, only had one screening a day or one time a day that you could go see that. So, Richard, you need to hurry up and go see that one before uh, yeah. before the next day, seriously, or it's going to be gone. Going to be gone. I don't but know attempt so. Expecting Great again, move. expecting a, a big weekend this week for it. Um, it opens in four thousand theaters um, this weekend, and it's getting some good scary buzz so that'll be one that brian does not join us for next week Um, (laughs) see you guys in two weeks but richard and i and our good friend joel who joined us for our alien covenant episode will be hopping on and talking it and i think brian is doing a little bonus episode on the princess bride the exact opposite exact opposite of it (laughs) with uh with ariel from geek 101 so look forward to that stuff some fun stuff coming up on the VIP uh, feed too. I, I need mm-hmm. to pump that up a little bit because we're we're, we're planning that for the next month or so. Um, this week, uh, in the next couple of days, actually, we're releasing a Mad About Sports. We're doing an NFL preview. The NFL season's kicking off here this weekend, regular season, and we're just going to talk football uh, because we don't want to take your time up on this episode and this show talking about sports, which we definitely could if we wanted to. We're going to do that for the uh, for the VIPs. If you want to listen to that, it's over on that feed. So that'll be a good time. And again, some more throwback episodes. We're recording uh, a big batch of those this weekend. Um, so look forward to that. Maybe we'll do a live Periscope or something for, for the normal listeners. Follow us on Twitter at MadAboutMovies uh, to stay up to date on that stuff. But before we talk Wind River, man, the... Uh, the movie gods, they love to shine down on us right mm-hmm. when we're about to go on the air. They, they, they do. They know the time and date when we're recording, and uh, they just make sure we have something something to get the, the juices flowing tonight. And uh, that is some Star Wars news. Brian, official podcast of Star Wars, mm-hmm. official yep. podcast um, of Star Wars representative is you. So as our representative, <laughs> Brian, break the news. So uh, we've we've kind of hinted that this might be a possibility over the last few, really the last year plus, I feel like. But uh, but yeah, so today we get word that 
Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm have have cut ties with Colin Trevorrow, who was supposed to be <laughs> writing and directing yeah. Star Wars episode. Well, the gallery's episode. going nuts over here. Yeah, yeah that's right. And our live studio audience yeah. was really they like that this one. It's good. They've, they've been quiet for three and a half, four years. You know? <laughs> that got them going. That got them going. Got them hyped. The hey, yeah, no, hey, Roger. All right, cool now. <laughs> So he's gone. He's gone. He's out. They they mutually parted ways, quote unquote. Um, but so we're 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 moving on and and looking for for a new director. So I think uh, think we're all pretty happy about that. But Ron Howard is signed on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's coming down the pipe soon. So yeah, look, it's it to me. I, I see it both ways. I don't like that this we've gotten. When it's all said and done, I think we'll have six Star new Star Wars movies, and four of the six will have had their director replaced at some point in the process. I don't like that. That's not that's not a real healthy way to make a film or a or a you know a film a cinematic universe or anything like that. But the flip side is, you know, I've been saying this whole time. Um, you know, if you're nervous about Colin Trevorrow. I wouldn't be because I feel like if it really gets down to it and they they feel like this guy's not going to cut it and he's not going to bring what they want, then they're just going to they're going to fire him the way they did with Josh Trank, the way they did with Lord and Miller, the way they sort of did with with Gareth Edwards. I mean, I just I I don't know. It never really made me super nervous just because I think Kathleen Kennedy knows what she's doing and I trust that she's going to make the right decisions on that stuff, you know. The flip side of that again is just stop hiring directors that you don't yeah. eventually want to make movies with they've got to change the way they're they're looking for who's going to head these projects you know yeah it's really come to the surface over the past couple weeks months and uh i went back and watched the some of the special features on the rogue one blu-ray uh over the over the break here and it's become very evident to me that the lucasfilm disney star wars machine is not a director's friendly machine at all. And Gareth Edwards mm-hmm. talking about how many things he had to change in, in Rogue One. And so it seems to me like they really just need to get a yes man for episode nine. Whoever that's going to be, if JJ comes back, great. I think that probably is what should happen is JJ comes back and finishes out his trilogy that he started and wraps a nice bow on all this. That's fine with me. I just don't see them going out and getting a. A Matthew Vaughn or a Matt Reeves or mm-hmm. you know one of these up and comer directors or you know our David Lowry our guy that did um, Kevin that did Smith. Pete's Dragon yeah. Kevin um, <laughs> you know Uwe Bowl you know the list goes on <laughs> Olivier what would you yeah. guys do if they announced Olivier like tomorrow I, I don't know I, I would have to denounce just, our title as official podcast yeah. of Star Wars for sure just spin myself into a coma probably <laughs> um. But I just don't see them going that direction anymore unless it's maybe on these side projects. And even then, I just think there has to be a, mm-hmm. an understanding of this is Star Wars and you're not going to mess with it. Um, mm-hmm. I I would still love, as a fan, and I think it would wrap a nice little bow on all this, like I said, is um, Steven Spielberg, man, coming back, do Episode Nine. That would be freaking awesome. I don't think it'll happen. I don't think... His relationship with George would he would feel comfortable with that. Um, I feel like he he wants to see these younger directors, you know, make names for themselves and kind of push this next generation uh, into 
of the next generation of filmmakers. I, I, I love that. I feel like JJ's kind of the Spielberg, the new Spielberg of his, his time, at least of the, of the most recent 20 years. And I just don't see him doing that. But as a fan, that's probably my number one would be for, for him to do that. And, um, for, you know, I don't want to see Ron Howard, honestly, I kind of know I'm going to get there. Even if this Han Solo movie is different and cool, I, I just know what Ron Howard, the kinds of movies he makes. I want um, maybe something a little bit different for my episode nine. So what's your wish list look like, Brian, at this point? And I want to talk a little bit about why we think Trevor is out too, but um, what do you, what do you think? Um, what are yeah, the toward? You kind of touched on most of my, my choices. Um, I think the most likely picks the Russos, are, are, maybe. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, but they're pretty busy with with Infinity War. Timing is going to be as much of an issue as anything else um, because you this movie is supposed to come out May of 2019. So they can push uh, it though. They, I mean, if they it comes could, out Christmas right. 2019, they've done right. it before. And and that would be fine. But I think I think to do that, you have to get. You know, J.J. Abrams was the type. He's got enough clout that he could. He pushed and said, "I we can't do this movie by May of 2015." And so you're going to have to have somebody who really has the enough push to to get stuff like that done. I, I'd love to see J.J. come back. I know he's spoken publicly about uh, how he kind of wished that he hadn't given this up. Um, although originally he's just like, "I just don't want to have." the next 10 years of my life dedicated to this and now i think he maybe would like to go back on that i would be i think ryan johnson is probably to me is the most likely person to to carry this through and finish it off um i know they've it seems by all accounts that they've had a fantastic experience with him and and vice versa on episode eight so i'd be thrilled with that i don't know how ron howard could do it timing wise they would have to push that to uh, to the end of 2019 to make that happen. Obviously, I'd love to have Spielberg. I don't. I just don't foresee that happening uh, because of Lucas and and because of Rogue. I mean, uh, Ready Player One and finishing that off. So, I mean, those to me, those are the three most likely choices. Is is the ones who've already been involved. You mentioned David Lowry. I'd love to see that. I think that could be a really interesting path to go and that's a that guy i think he has now proven that he is a very an incredibly good director and has worked within the disney system already so you know you got to believe that he has part of it but i think i think this is done this this idea uh at least for the time being of we're going to go out and hire young talented or new new directors who have you know like an indie uh, an indie sci-fi movie to their credit and then like one big blockbuster or something like that i think that's over and I, we can talk about reasons why and stuff but i i i don't know necessarily can't that we've got to have a yes man but i think it's got to be somebody who has a lot of uh of skins on the wall who can um a who you can trust to work within that system and b who has enough push to to kind of go combat when necessary with with kathleen kennedy and everybody else who's in charge to get the right thing the right thing or the right feel or the right person or whatever for these movies uh without uh, you know without rocking the boat 
too much, if that makes sense. And I, right. I think that's I think that's a skill that not everybody has. And yeah, you're you're totally right. Like it's you could easily make the argument that Disney that Star Wars, Lucasfilm, Disney, whatever, is not super director friendly right now, and I think that that's an accurate case. I also think it is a it is a real skill set to understand how to navigate the politics of a big studio and a huge universe like this is. And to go in knowing that, like, yeah, I want to get my vision in there, but at the end of the day, these people, uh, they have the vision for the entire cinematic universe in their hands. And I have it has to fit into what they're doing or it's not going to happen, you know? Richard? Any comments? Thoughts? Yeah, I think... Complaints? <laughs> No, I mean I'm I'm not a big Trevor guy, so uh, I'm I'm you know you don't want to see anyone lose a job, but I think he'll land on his feet. Uh, but it's it is I think to heed both of your points, I don't think they want to go. I, I, sorry, I'm trying to kind of cons- put everything into one. So you've got you've got Ron Howard who has a lot of skins on the wall. I think that's more like what they would bring in last minute to fix something that's already been shot to bring sort of uh, an adult to the room and, and fix everything. Uh, starting more from scratch with a script by Ryan Johnson. Um, I could see them still kind of going down the more up and comer uh, path, but it looks, I think you're going to need two pr- decent uh, hits in two different environments. You know, when the, the, the thing with, like, look at Trank, for example, they, everyone signs him after his first movie and then, he just completely, you know, sophomore slumps times infinity. You know, he's basically RG3. Uh, and and so you you can't risk that. I think you need to have someone with maybe two or three uh, movies that have been successful in different type of uh, budgets to really know, hey, you're ready for this. And that's kind of what, a little bit what Marvel's done on that side of it. It's kind of that style of, of director. But I, in terms of names, I mean, you guys have named all of them. Uh, I, I think, I think, since Ryan Johnson wrote the script for this one, I mean, I think he has to be a huge Floyd Mayweather type <laughs> uh, favorite to 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 direct this film, right? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think he'd have to do. He could kind of just go right into from post in the pre. Maybe you move it back six months to give him two months to take a breath and promote this one, and then you know dive back in. Yeah. Um, there were rumors. I mean, we got to kind of double back on who's who we've talked about. Who we've talked about in the past with Star Wars, not only when they were uh, announcing these spinoff movies, there were rumors there, but when they were rumors for uh, for Episode Seven, there were a lot of conversations being had, and things just didn't quite work out. I wonder if they kind of double back on some of those. Uh, a David Fincher. Who, who they had serious talks. He, were their, he was their first choice for The Force Awakens. Maybe he kind of sees what's going on. It's like, I kind of want a piece of that, you know? And, um, yeah. and or Doug of, Elin. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Joe Johnston, who, yeah. Um, who did Captain America and Rocketeer and also, you know, has skins on the wall, but he also has been in talks with Kathleen Kennedy for a while about doing something with Star Wars. Uh, they just never have worked something out. I know that for a fact too. Um, so he's a possibility. Um, I'm going to put my money on on JJ. I think it'll be yeah. JJ and Ryan kind of collaborating and, and finishing uh-huh. this out, and then from then on, if they do another trilogy on Kylo Ren or whoever it is, they're they're 
work here is done and and uh you know maybe at that point joss whedon can take over and do his own trilogy <laughs> or something you know yeah. I, I really feel like this is jj's trilogy with ryan johnson contributing at this point it just f- would feel weird if some random director came in and and yeah. directed it has to feel kind of maybe it has to feel like it, it, it's part of the journey and i feel like jj's been there every step of the way and same with ryan yeah. johnson ryan johnson was there when jj was making force awakens because he's like hey i'm making the next one so we need to kind of i need to kind of know what's going on here because they were you know already making the last jedi when the force awakens was being shot and released and all that so um yeah go ahead sorry no you're right i i think i i think like a, a name like joe johnson is well, A, he's still playing for the Jazz. I don't know if he has time to do this as well as... So, no, wait, the that's like... wonder, though. He's got that <laughs> mid-range still. I saw Joe, baby. Um, look, it's... I just think that is that would be such a letdown to go from J.J. Abrams... Especially the last one. Yeah, exactly. To go from J.J. Yeah. Abrams to Ryan Johnson to the guy who did Captain America. I just feel like everybody says, oh, well, that's kind of boring. I, I would be a little bummed if it if it ended up being that. I, not that it would be, like cause me I'm to talking about, man. That's see what I'm this saying. movie five times in the first weekend, but, you know, it's it would be kind of a bummer. Two other names that I didn't mention just because of uh, their they're already having a lot of time commitments are, are Patty Jenkins, who I don't think she can do it because I imagine she's going straight into Wonder Woman 2 pretty soon here. And then uh, Ava uh, DuVernay from of uh, Selma fame, and she's got A Wrinkle in Time coming yeah. out uh, in March, which I, I honestly think she will end up directing a Star Wars movie at some point. I just don't think the timing works out for Episode 9. What about Bigelow? Would that get you hyped? That would totally. give me heights. I don't think yeah. it would happen. Uh, I just don't. I don't. Uh, here's a possibility. What about this? What about Christopher Nolan? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love to have it. I, and like, that's I what I think of when I think of skins on the wall. Yeah, skins on the wall established and somebody that'll get me excited because he's such either, an actor though. He'd want the script. And I mean, mm-hmm. if Ryan Johnson's only, I'm thinking of just someone that'll come in and shoot it. You know, Christopher right. Nolan's going to That's why I'm thinking Joe Johnson's just like a guy that they trust, that they know that they can throw from the director of the Captain America, you know, in the, in the, uh, credits and people kind of know, recognize him Mm -hmm. and he's a safe, I'm thinking more, they're going to take safe choice here over exciting young, let's get Hollywood stoked about, you know, Edgar Wright doing a star Wars movie. You know, I don't don't think that's going to happen. I I think it's JJ or, or, or Ryan Johnson. That's my, that's my guess. Or push the deadline and, uh, and bring, and keep Ron Howard on because I mean we we had seen like some speculation out there when he took over Han Solo that this is like a trial run for something to come. So I think those got to be the leader in the clubhouse. It's just or the you know the the best odds. But if you do if you do somebody like Joe Johnson, I I feel like you're you are writing the um, Joe Johnson is just a puppet sort of articles that will spread like wildfire um, yeah. for the next year. Like, I feel like you're writing those for uh, the Hollywood reporter or the ringer or whatever. Like you're just, it's, it's too easy to, to make that happen. I mean, no, nothing the against Joe would, Johnson. The ringer just, would write who won right. the last Jedi. So <laughs> we'll have to find that out eventually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and, and we know we've talked about on this segment before, uh, in the past couple of weeks, that Ryan Johnson has shot some stuff for Episode Nine while doing yeah, it, Last Jedi because it's like, hey, we got all right. our cast members here, we got the sets already here, 
we already know what the scene is. We can go ahead and do it now. You don't have to do it later, you know. And uh, I'm sure Trevor loved. I know that's that's why we talked about it. Like, don't yeah. be surprised if in the next couple of weeks this guy's out because you don't do that usually. <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. ask a yeah. Say, yeah. hey, we know you're uh, the director, but we got this other director to direct a lot of your scenes. Sorry. Yeah, we got uh, about 45 minutes of convenience. Of well, like, <laughs> like convenience has ever mattered to Disney, who right. spends $250 million for every movie they make, you know? Um, and uh, maybe it's a point where Ryan Johnson's like, man, I already shot a tenth of this mm-hmm. movie, yeah. you know? Let's just do it. And I'm not even going to leave. Like, let's just start now and not even take a break between productions and go straight into back-to-back with The Last Jedi and uh, and um, Episode 9, the untitled Episode 9. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. still don't have a director for standalone number 2, do we? Yeah, Obi-Wan. Stephen Daltrey is rumored on that, but that's Stephen not Daltrey. hasn't been confirmed. Yeah, I would like to see Danny Boyle do that. Yeah, with, I'd uh, like to see not Stephen Daltrey. His chemistry with Ewan and train spotting and all, I think that would yeah, be really be cool. cool. That'd be cool. Last note there, Kent, I... On your Christopher Nolan thought, I think, I think what is more likely to happen with Chris Nolan is to save him for the next trilogy. It would not. I I feel like by the time you get to twenty twenty one or whatever, and you're really looking ahead to whatever the next phase of this whole thing is going to be, he might be ready to step back into a franchise studio setting after a long break from from Batman. And maybe at that point, you just say, okay, you're our J.J. Abrams for this particular whatever the next trilogy is or the next series of films now you're in charge of that let's see what you want to do that what do we what do we really think exciting. about the kind of disney resident the directors the andrew stantons the you know that that pixar kind of sure you know, how the brad sure. birds what about them mm-hmm. you know maybe they'll ha- they'll have a shot here i'm just trying to think of who's in their umbrella already and, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. it wouldn't feel weird or unnatural to bring somebody in from a different studio or or you know sure i I feel like spielberg even you know works with universal a lot and and and, uh i'm sure he's got to do indiana jones which is why he probably wouldn't do star wars as he would be like no i gotta prep the next indiana jones movie and that's gonna take all my time you know um Mm -hmm. so i would like you said and i think the conclusion of this segment as we move uh ahead here is either ryan johnson or jj or X safe choice director um and that can be there's a long list of those but i think they're pretty obvious um when it's announced whether it'll be a safe choice or not so i'm excited i hope they get this turned around in the next mm-hmm. week yeah. you know i'm anxious to see who, who it's going to be and get some more details on that movie because sure. man we're what how many months away three months mm-hmm. from uh three months away from the next Star Wars film. Wow. Can't wait. Oh, man, we got a retrospective of all those Star Wars movies in here? Gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Guess we're going to have to do that. <laughs> Richard just that. sent us his resignation letter. Richard did that session with us. We did, or we went back and watched all the Star Wars movies and talked about them. Uh, I remember like 20 minutes into episode two, I think it was just the second one of the six, Richard was like, totally out. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> just get this done. You know, we had like seven hours that day or something. I'm, I'm actually shocked you still do the do the podcast on a weekly basis with all we put you through. The I woods the and then this, like, good grief, man! I love it. What, I love what you next? guys? Oh, I'm not that difficult. You I do hope. it for us, man. You do it for us. <laughs> uh, I I love you. Love you. Um, okay, love you, man. 
So we're going to take a quick, um, I guess, swig of coffee this evening. It's a drink mm. of choice. And um, come back and talk Wind River. Hey, man fam. It's Brian here to talk to you today about our newest sponsor, Mack Weldon, a premium men's essentials brand. When we got these guys as our sponsor, I went to the website, I browsed through their categories, I picked out what I wanted and ordered it, and in a couple of days, it was on my body. And these are the most comfortable boxers I've ever worn in my life. The socks are dope, and the shirts look great. They don't have any thongs yet, but I know that Richard has put in a request, so maybe that is coming down the pipe soon. And if for some reason you don't like your first pair, Mack Weldon will refund your money and let you keep your order, no questions asked. I don't think that's going to be a problem, though, for you because these products look and feel great, and they're awesome for pretty much any occasion. Whether you're going to the gym, you're at work, you're on a date, you're at home watching Now You See Me, whatever else you weirdos do, it's awesome. So go to MacWeldon.com and use our promo code MAD to get 20% off your order. That's MacWeldon.com promo code MAD. All right, so we are joined by a guest this evening to discuss... Taylor Sheridan's Wind River. Brian, would you like to do the honors? Yeah, sure. We are joined tonight by our, uh, our listener and a, and a friend of the show, John Manasco. John, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going pretty good. I'm alive. It's good. Uh, it's good. It's a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a long week. Uh, oh, wow. This got dark really, really fast. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's, tu- it's Tuesday. So. Right. Yeah, it's been I, a long week. I got in a second viewing of the movie just to improve the mood. So. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, I'm doing a little down. I'm going to go catch this movie again. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if you're serious or not, but uh, I'm going to just... There's, there's support out there for you if you need it. That's all I'll say. Um, okay. So Wind River... A movie that, again, we've been anticipating for a while. Brian, I think you were the first of us to see it. Uh, Richard did get to see it as well. But I'm going to start with mm-hmm. Richard Barton this evening. And uh, we're going to do general thoughts on Wind River. Save some spoiler talk for in a few minutes. Yeah. And uh, we'll get going here. Go. So yeah. I was excited for- I was excited for this because Sheraton is Sheridan rather has proven himself to be a re- Sheraton <laughs> great hotel chain. Yeah, it's great hotel. It's good as that. <laughs> he uh, he's proven himself to run a heck of a breakfast buffet, and I yeah. uh, not quite the Hilton, but it's close. It's close. Yeah, They're well, moving up. I yeah. was a Radisson guy. I was always a Radisson <laughs> yeah. guy, and then uh, no, but Sheridan is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. I'm sorry. Sure, I uh, never think of his name the same way. <laughs> I did not make that association once until he said Sheraton. <laughs> oh, anyway, wow. he's one of my favorite screenwriters now. Obviously, he's done back-to-back awesome, innovative, original works. And uh, has another one next year. I mean, he's just cranking stuff out. But I went into this really trying to focus on the direction because I wanted to see if he was going to kind of take that be able to be more of an artur for the next few years because he obviously is has enough credibility to start directing his own stuff so i I wanted i went in with kind of a open mind in a negative way like i'm willing to let this suck and not just focus on the Mm -hmm. on the how much i like the writing if that makes sense uh but but really enjoyed i thought he got great performances out of out of the actors jeremy renner continues to be this is exactly the stuff he should do yeah (laughs) and uh his 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 he's so good and mid to low budget uh films and he's just not a big budget movie star and that's okay like there's actually less of what he does out there um and i thought this was just a, a really excellent uh film 
weird release date yet again. I think this was good enough to hold out till October or so and maybe try to get some buzz, but they know better than than I do, that's for sure. So no, I I when I came out of this, you know, it's so rare. We I don't think a lot of people n- would notice this on the same level we do, just because we have this the quantity of movies we have to see. And, and John, I include you in that because I know you see a lot of stuff too. And we'll talk about your show later, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like you you just the, the how rare the feeling is when you see something really original and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens more this time of year, which is why I love this time of year coming up. But still, it's like nine months of. Just even things that are good, you know, you see things, something like Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and you're like, that, I really enjoyed that, but, I mean, I, I've, I know those beats. I know that, you know, I know it's a, it's a really good pop song, and there's still really good pop songs in 2017, but they are still the same four chords and the same structure. And when it's something kind of uh, different, it's, it's, it's just such a good feeling to walk out, and this achieved that for me. So uh, for that, I'll grade it maybe higher than I would maybe in a year when I think about it, but I think it's a very good film. Brian, what about you? Yeah, I've been really excited about this one for, uh, for the year because I'm a big fan of, uh, of Taylor Sheraton and, uh, his, the, the bedding in their <laughs> yeah. hotel rooms are well, just they, unbelievable. So. And you know what? Uh, local calls are free, which I like because they, sometimes <laughs> they try to gouge you. They try to gouge you, and you think, okay, it's just it's just long distance that costs money. And then you know you call all your friends, which I always right. do when I get a hotel, <laughs> right. as you guys know. Right. Immediately, I call my friends and sort of twirl twirl the phone line and lay in bed mm-hmm. with my feet up. And just reminds you of a simpler time. I get it. It's fine. Yeah. And then next, do you want the tuck or you don't want the tuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's a different hotel room, but the uh, okay. the, the uh, but it's 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 nice that they don't bill. So uh, you know, Sheraton's great. Yeah. It's good. It's good. This episode brought to you by Sheraton. <laughs> Actually, Super Eight. It's weird. I don't know how that's going to play over. No, um, I'm I'm a big fan of this guy because of uh, he's a he's a great writer. I loved uh, Sicario, and then Hell or High Water was my number one movie of the year last year, and he wrote that. And and uh, I was excited. I'm with you, Richard. Like I was, I was kind of ready for this to be. Uh, a downturn from Hell or High Water for sure and from Sicario and some of the other stuff that he's done just because it's really hard to become a director, you know, to go from this guy was on Sons of Anarchy as like the sixth lead, I don't know, eight years ago, and now he's just writing and directing his own movies, which is, it's, could be a really difficult transition to make. Uh, but this is, I was, so I, I was, I was willing to just, to say, okay, it wasn't a great movie, but you know, we see what uh, what he can do and what he's capable of. And and instead, I I came out uh, incredibly impressed with his acumen as a director as well as as a writer. Um, you know, there's maybe a few hiccups here and there uh, down the stretch, maybe that could have been ironed out a little bit by maybe a more seasoned director but i it's i think they're very whatever complaints that i might have about the movie i I, they're very they're very small two leads are great uh you're you're spot on rb the jeremy renner is is an interesting guy because he's he's just he's just not a movie star and that's totally cool like you can be uh a very fine actor and and be uh well known and even show i think he has shown that he has more charisma than maybe we thought he did in the like born legacy era of his of his career and so but i you know i i've seen 
I see Jeremy Renner and I think Hurt Locker and I think The Town and I think, man, this guy is really, really good. And then he just kind of went through a weird phase where he's uh, maybe just not being used correctly or, and to, you know, taking on movies that uh, he might not be qualified or, or uh, capable of really pulling off. And Elizabeth Olsen is great. Elizabeth Olsen is one of my favorite actresses going right now. And I think if I could, uh, if I could buy stock in, in, someone's likelihood to win an Oscar at some point, I'd, I would put a lot of money into hers. I think she's really, really good. So to have the, the two of them playing off of each other, um, and then really the, the third main character is just the setting and the scenes and whatnot. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. I love that. I, I thought that was a big part of what made Hell or High Water work really well and, and what made Sicario work too is the understanding and appreciation for uh, the setting and letting that speak a lot on screen both in the visuals and in the sound and just um, the way that things work within this particular world and and uh i i thought that it was handled very uh with a lot of with a lot of grace and with uh a lot of of uh sort of uh finesse i think and and i i greatly appreciate that so yeah for me it was i'm i'm very positive and very high on the movie and uh i'm glad that I'm glad that it's doing well too. It's made like twenty or twenty-two million dollars, and that's a that's not chump change this time of year. Um, I I think it, unlike Detroit, we talked about last week. Was that last week or the week before? Whatever it was, that very clearly needed to be out in October, or November, something like that. This I think does fit more of the mold of like a Hell or High Water that also came out in August, and we just it's just a kind of a reprieve from summer blockbuster or maybe you could look at it as like this is the uh this is like the the line in the sand for like okay now we're transitioning over into uh more serious fare that typically comes out between here and here and christmas so uh but yeah th- i i really liked it and i i'm i'm very impressed with um the way that that taylor sheridan's been able to uh transition his his career in a in a pretty short period of time honestly and uh and the way that he's been able to handle that yeah it's been it's been really cool to watch um his progression and i just love his his writing i mean um Mm -hmm. i can't say much for his ability to direct i think this is a really small sample size i think he did an admirable job admirable job with this i think he did just as fine as a job on this as david mckenzie did on hill or high water i mean it was good it accented the the script but it didn't um, elevate it much I don't think uh, the the script was what I left thinking about not wow that was particularly well shot or wow they got some great performances out of that I just think it was just solid on almost every aspect so this is a good solid entry into his you know into him directing but it's not like like I mentioned David Lowry earlier like I saw Pete's Dragon I'm like this mm-hmm. this is a special director that you can, sure. you can tell right at the outset and Denny um who did prisoners and did you know Sicario with uh, with Taylor Sheridan? He elevated that. He made that his own material and and, and made it into best picture caliber content. Um, I think this is a solid film, but I just jury's still out for me on him as a director. But I think he was a he knows this movie so well. I mean, he wrote the thing. He, he got what was on the page, but I don't know if if he got that much more. So um, I just, I still think he did a he did a great job. 
with this. It's just, um, I still think his strength is riding for sure. I still think that's, that's his bread and butter and, and he'll be selling a lot of big movies to big directors for sure. Mm, and studios sure. will be doing that. He's got a lot of other projects. I'm excited to talk about him later, but, uh, John, what were your general thoughts on, um, on this movie? You've seen it twice now, I guess. So, yep. Before you go, John, yeah, real quick, yeah. we should explain mm. uh, why John lead with John why why you're interested in coming on for this episode and all the, all that good stuff too. Yeah, yeah. So I saw you guys are doing a uh, an episode on it, um, and when I saw this was announced, I was a little bit kind of cautiously uh, uh, optimistic because um, I actually grew up uh, in this little town called Riverton, which <laughs> they uh, they actually mentioned in the movie a few times, and I actually went to go see it. Uh, with my dad over here at uh, the Angelica in Dallas, it was like the only showing <laughs> last week, so I don't know if it was going to be out. Um, but we actually grew up in Riverton, which is uh, pretty close proximity to Lander. So it was interesting just to see what the approach was going to be of not only just I think kind of the people and the atmosphere, but really just kind of to the material. Um, just to really see if it would be kind of authentic to, I think, um, just what, you know, like it's different being there and then different kind of like passing through, mm-hmm. um, and kind of what you alluded to earlier, Brian, I think maybe a good comparison would be like when Wally Fister first announced, uh, you know, he's going to do his first movie. I was like, kind of like cautiously <laughs> optimistic. And then we knew how that turned out. So I think that was maybe a little bit of my fear with Taylor Sheridan. It's like, okay, he's a great writer. Um, Sicario was excellent. His work, um, previous stuff was great, but that doesn't necessarily always translate into being a great director. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I was a little bit nervous, but I think just overall general thoughts, um, I think he nailed the atmosphere. Um, he actually got the names of the towns. There's one of them I didn't heard of, uh, haven't been to was a uh, Pinedale. So I was like, okay, that's actually a little bit, uh, kind of West of like Lander and Riverton. So it was just kind of interesting to see something kind of of a quote unquote bigger scale. Um, <laughs> just kind of where I grew up. I don't think any director or, or screenwriter, um, particularly in the past couple of years has done like desolation like Taylor Sheridan. I mean, he, he, he perfectly encapsulates these desolate regions of the country mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he does the border patrol stuff with Sicario and hell or high water is, is sort of West Texas, you know, Texas Rangers and yeah. real life Texas Rangers. And this is just, you know, uh, the Rocky mountains, uh, and, uh, you know, kind of mountaineering. I think there's a lot of stories to be told about those parts of america that aren't ever really told you know Mm -hmm. um and and Mm -hmm. there there's definitely i mean you you basically just just with this film with wind river you you place a you know a murder homicide in the middle of a mountain pretty much you know and uh the fbi has one person out there you know that's it and the crime scene is changing every single day, multiple times a day because of the climate, you know, and you have to do certain things by certain times. And, and there's just, just different rules. I think Taylor Sheridan, I was listening to an interview with him about this and he, he was like, uh, he wanted to really experiment with what happens when a crime takes place outside the law in inside the, inside the law of nature. Like that's the only thing governing them is, is nature out there 
You know, and that's why, you know, the murder happened, why they thought they could get away with it is because no one would find out. They're out in the middle of nowhere, right? And how does justice happen in those types of environments and things? I think that's mm-hmm. a really interesting premise for a film and and something to explore. Uh, it's an extremely simple story. I mean, uh, Corey is uh, Jeremy Renner's character, and he kind of stumbles upon a body in, uh, you know, as he's working. And that's really the movie is where did this body come from? And was this a murder, you know, or, and if it was a murder, who did it and why, you know, that's really, it's really all we're, we're trying to find out here. And uh, I love the allegory here. I love the, the fact that this is very similar to Hell or High Water and the, its main character protagonist, you know, being like father figure dealing with struggling with uh, family issues of his own mm-hmm. and trying to overcome mm-hmm. them. And, it's very much a trilogy of films. Sicario, uh, Hell or Hot Water, and this. It's a very thematic trilogy. And um, I love the, the crossover there. I don't know if the... I don't actually definitely know that the stuff with Renner and his kid was not the strong suit of this movie, but I think it definitely helps at the end. us kind of understand why things happened, why he yeah. acted the way he did along this journey. And... And, uh, you know, Renner's character is a, a hunter in this movie, and, and the fact that he's a hunter and, and hunts wolves that are trying to attack sheep, you know, like that's his job is to keep predators away from farms and things, you know. And uh, it's a very specific reason. You know, Taylor Sheridan shared in the interview that I listened to that, that that's not in the movie is the fact that that wasn't always his job. Like, that's the job he has now. Before that, he was like a, he was like a, guy, a guide, like somebody that would take you up on the mountain and, like, show you, you know, and hike with you. And that's, like, kind of how he knows the mountain so well and that area and everything, you know? But um, he's taken up this job after he lost his daughter, and he's kind of taken on this revenge, predatory kind of state, you know? Um, I just mm-hmm. loved all that stuff that kind of kind of undertones this story. And I think, uh, again, as a writer... That's all on the page, and, and he knew what he was doing in that regard. So I really, uh, really appreciated that. So um, this reminds me of my favorite movie of all time, Fargo, in a way. Yeah, it's it mm-hmm. doesn't have the uh, the voice of Fargo, or necessarily the it's not tongue in cheek like Fargo is half the time. Um, but this is definitely a similar subject matter, and uh, you know, climate obviously, and it's a serious version of Fargo. This is what really what I can kind of compare it to. Mm-hmm. If Fargo mm-hmm. was not a, a, a dark comedy and had the Mississippi nice element of it, uh, I, I would think this would be right on par thriller wise with, uh, with that movie. And that's my favorite movie of all time. So this is strong in that department, the, the thrills. Yeah. And I think to that point, Kent too, I think the reason this movie works is he knows where to keep the tension. Like, I feel like we've seen versions of this movie where like you could easily spend like 10 or 15 minutes, you know, screwing around with uh, like the reservation politics and the federal FBI. Like there's easily could have been like another character where she knows she's calling back to corporate. And like, mm-hmm. I think just the simplicity of the movie mm-hmm. is what yes. makes it works. And well, I mean, we'll probably get into it a little bit later, but I think something kind of structurally, it's kind of more like spoily that, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into it yet, but I think that's where that movie works. Um, and what's interesting, too, because I was kind of thinking about this earlier. So just to kind of put like in perspective like the size of Wyoming, um, 
I mean, I grew up there for probably six or seven years. There's like two malls in like the entire state. So as far as like anything new coming into, um, you know, in the development, like nothing new happens there. And I think that's what he really works with the characters. Um, and, you know, he works it through, uh, you know, the kids that they go and find and kind of various other characters where they kind of don't know how to deal with themselves in this space because it's kind of a very like isolated place. You know, we live, live here in like the DFW where like, you know, there's a new sub development like every five minutes. So, you know, it's always ever expanding, ever growing out, you know, kind of in, Wyoming, like it's very small, like nothing new really ever comes around. There's no new development, and honestly, like a lot of people just kind of stay there. There's, you know, very few people kind of venture out. Yeah. Um. You know, occasionally they'll kind of go to college and things like that, but for all intents and purposes, it's still kind of a very tight knit community. And I think um, he did a very good job of just capturing that and applying it to all the characters and how it relates to them and the you know the story unfolds. It unfolds, man. It mm-hmm. uh, this one really had me on the edge of my seat. Uh, it, right when it gets to the third act, where we, where things kind of start to come to fruition, or we finally start to learn things, I was really enjoying myself. Like I know this is a dark movie, but I think it's it's an entertaining dark movie. It does not. Mm-hmm. It's not depressing necessarily. Yeah, it's not yeah, Manchester it's not by unrelenting. the sea. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not. Yeah. You don't go in and just bad things happen and you leave. You go and there's there is a kind of sense of redemption, if not I mean it definitely doesn't have a happy ending. It doesn't end the way that Hollywood would have you think it should end. Um to your point earlier on, you know, there could have been this FBI, you know, back at the headquarters, you know, character in this movie where she's calling back and saying, I don't like this case. And Elizabeth Olsen's like fighting with the FBI and back and forth and all this. They keep that kind of she's silence. The only one they got. But that's what Hollywood would tell him. Hey, what if we had this, you know, she had this back, she's having trouble with her job and we explore that more or, or, or Hollywood would say, Hey, why don't you make this love story between Elizabeth Olsen oh, yes, thank you. and Jeremy Renner more of a thing? Cause it's very obvious that they have chemistry and like each other and want to help each other. But it never really crosses. Were you guys that nervous line. about that at all? Um, I'm always nervous about that kind of thing because I, I don't. <laughs> it, it feels like it happens in every movie, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't need to happen here. It doesn't need to happen in most of this type of of movie. And I, I, I actually think that's one of the best things that that uh, Sheridan did, both on page and and on the screen, is just letting this lie. Like I don't really. I'm not too concerned one way or the other i don't really care if they get together or they don't get together but he left it in a place where um you kind of showed like you said can't like the chemistry between the two of them without um it becoming like a, a major focus of what's happening because that just distracts and and is not really important to this particular case you know if this is a cinematic universe fine but it's obviously not so like just just let it be you know we don't we don't need it to go any further than it than it did yeah, I'm. I'm glad. I thought it was gonna go there when they have that scene where they show like Elizabeth Olsen's butt randomly in the beginning of the movie. I'm like, why? <laughs> why did they show? Like, now that that we know that that's not like they don't kind of take that path in this movie, it's even more confusing. I mean, I know why they did it, but 
It's just like, what does that have to do with her character and all that? I didn't, yeah, I guess I, I, I some know. things we don't need to question. Yeah, <laughs> this, I thought they were going to be like at the end. No, no, I didn't think that. But where they were going with that, this was a prostitution ring or whatever that they, you know, yeah. had going on. Mm-hmm. I, I thought she was going to be pulled into that somehow. I, I just it was like a seed that they planted earlier in the movie that they never never uh fleshed out or anything and um i'm surprised they didn't cut that part out actually well, you know it didn't I, have anything to do with anything i think more than anything else and it's something that i appreciate greatly about this movie you referenced uh, manchester by the sea and there's there's probably a better example but i can't think of anything else this movie very very easily could have become unrelentingly grim and depressing and harsh and I think that having, I don't know, maybe 10 jokes in the course of, of the two hours, I think it helped. I think it helped a lot. And that was, I think that's the point of, that's why that scene keeps, stays in the movie is because you get that joke about the, the grandmother saying like, yeah, thermal underwear can make your, you know, can make your, your underwear right up your butt. Oh, (laughs) never mind. Okay. I guess that, and even like in the scene when Jeremy Renner's talking about his, his daughter dying, which is just really difficult and Renner pulls it off beautifully. Like this just very, um, heart wrenching moment. He follows it up with a little bit of a joke. And so they, I, I think I appreciate that a lot because it just, I feel like movies like, like Gone Girl is a great example of like, can I get one joke somewhere in here just so I can like take a breath? Like it's, it's just, it's enough. It's enough. And so I think that was, I think that's actually a really, whether it needed to be that joke or not, I don't, I'm not here to, you know, judge that or not, but I think that it was, I think it's worthwhile having a few of these little lines or these quick cut scenes here and there just to keep you from just being oppressed by the grimness of the whole thing. Yeah. I, I was curious about the kind of point of this movie. And I know that sounds bad. Like I, I was wondering, is this more than just an isolated incident that he's telling this incident and that's it, you know, this happened and that's it. Um, I didn't know about the kind of moral of the story of all these native American women that have gone missing. I had no idea that that was something that is a reality and he said, Taylor Sheridan said that that's actually what he started with, with this movie was that he wanted to tell that story or that that hit close to home to him in some way. Um, I had no idea. So for me, this movie brought that into light for me and I will definitely look at that situation in a different way and look more into that. Cause I didn't know that, um, that was happening, but what a way to tell the story and, uh, it's gripping. It was a visceral, um, kept me guessing i mean they're when they actually find out who who's kind of behind it it's um it's very tense (laughs) there's a standoff (laughs) scene in this that is as good of a scene as i've seen this year in setup and execution and um it was uh it was violent but also i don't know redemptive in a way you know they're it didn't feel gratuitous. It didn't feel like Django Unchained, you know, where, where, mm-hmm. where yeah. blood's just flying everywhere, and mm-hmm. and it's like violence for the sake mm-hmm. of violence. Like it really felt circumstantial, and and like people were fighting for survival, and mm-hmm. and yeah, all all the all the above. I mean, it felt real, and uh, yeah. I really appreciated yeah. that um, that this movie took a realistic approach. And uh, I mean, he's just out there with a the camera, 
riding snowmobiles. I mean, there's not a lot of setup with this. You know, uh, it's not big sets and all that. It's very DIY shot. It feels like, and um, it adds to the the um, realism of this. So uh, that was something else that stuck out. Yeah, I love his his way of building tension and, and pace on that stuff too. Because you you know you know that the violence is coming. You know your head in that direction, um, and it's still it doesn't t- catch you by surprise. But it 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 continues to build until you're almost at the breaking point before you really get that. And you have like little touches, like the the standoff in the trailer earlier on in the film. You get like a little burst of of that here and there, but it's a lot like Sicario. It's a lot like Hell or High Water. It's a lot like Mud, uh, which this movie reminded me of a bit, um, where you you know the third act is going to be violent, and we're headed in that direction, but you, you don't really get um, a true glimpse of what exactly that's going to be like while he builds the tension, and I, man, that works. That's, that's a favorite... I get at this point it's kind of becoming a trope, but that's a favorite trope of mine is is to use that kind of slow burn drama to build the tension to where when you get to the action, it's uh, it's in your face and kind of shocking, but without to your point, without being like abrasive or gratuitous or or Tarantino-y, you know. Yeah, it's gets um, right in the middle of that kind of. Uh, standoff or once we kind of realize or the audience starts to realize that the security guards that she kind of runs across at the uh i don't know if it's it's not a reservation or it was an oil drill place or something like that or refinery i think it's a yeah it's kind of like i think it's like a weird little kind of pocket to where i think really the only one who had full authority was elizabeth olsen's character but I really dug uh, him casting guys like you know Grim Grim Green, <laughs> Graham Green. There we go, uh, and Gil Birmingham, who played uh, his friend. I think they kind of gave like a sort a sort of uh, like authenticity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's I think they've both been on uh, Longmire, which is uh, it's also set in Wyoming and a sheriff that follows it. And I, you know, one of the things we we're talking about is kind of structure and uh, it being simple. One of the things I think. You know, if this was in the Hollywood system, they very, very easily could have done. And it's one of my like biggest pet peeves with movies is I pretty much hate all narration and I hate pretty much all like dream sequences. Um, like I know, you know, I understand that's kind of like a part of that culture, but that could easily be like another eight or ten minutes, you know, peppered throughout the movie of you know why, you know, why is he waking up to dreams of his daughter? You know, that could easily be in, have been something that's in here, and I think you know, shying away from that and just kind of having those characters there as a presence to kind of help it along. I feel like that kind of gave it a little bit more of a stable legs to stand on, so to speak. Yeah, I think so. And for me, it was different because um, it went down that road, but right when that standoff happens or right when the audience starts to realize that it's going to happen or something is going to happen, then he... You, you immediately are taken out of that situation and you're back at the flashback of the backstory of this entire thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could have let that play out and we kind of find out through those events what happened to the girl and we find out that way. But for him to go back to the flashback and then the way he brings it all together where, the, you know, it cuts back to Elizabeth Olsen at that same trailer knocking on that door, you know. Um, I would not be answering co- doors anytime soon. Yeah, that moment... <laughs> It was just like uh, it all comes together right at the 
right moment in both a good way and a bad way narratively in a good way but a bad way for the people involved you know um because you, you also know that jeremy renner like kind of sees the little town from where he's exploring when he goes to when he goes to explore the you know snowmobile tracks or whatever before they go away uh before sundown and he he sees the um he sees the camp down there and he sees her at the camp like he he's not able to radio her in time before he realizes what's going on you know that they're actually the tracks mm-hmm. lead down there and all that uh, i just loved the dramatic irony in this movie the stuff that that the audience knows that the characters don't know and then all trying to figure it out and um, it leads to some very tense moments, and this is very tense. Another tense moment was where he's up there finding those tracks, finding the other body, and he sees that pack of mountain lions up there, right? You think that that's going, that's another kind of moment, like I mentioned the uh, underwear scene earlier, that kind of, you see it, and then it, nothing happens with it. Like, you think you're going to come back to that later? Like, I thought he was going to lead the killer guy away into the woods and those into the place where he knew those mountain lions were and that they were going to eat him or something, you know, or he was going to come back and like enact his revenge. Um, Sheridan said that he actually shot a scene for this movie where Jeremy Renner walks back through that area and like looks over at the mountain lions and says something like, you're lucky that today's the day I found you because he had other stuff on his mind. Like any other day, in his normal job, he would have killed them, you know, because they were predators. Um, but like the, he spared them because he was getting his, he was getting that fix by doing what he was doing, helping Elizabeth Olsen, right? Like that—that's the reason he was in the hunting game because he wanted that, he wanted that revenge for his daughter, you know, that he wanted to show that he could have helped her, you know, and that this is. That's just something that, that they never really explore. They see the mountain lines and you're kind of there and you think that something's going to happen and, and nothing really does. Not to say that that's a bad thing, but it's just kind of a seed that it kind of made me wonder as I'm watching this movie, like, okay, are they going to come back to this? Are they going to come back to that? And uh, I think some of those were kind of false seeds on purpose so that it does keep you guessing and doesn't let you figure everything out. Uh, a movie like Alien Covenant, you know, you could see the twist coming from a mile away. Uh, I thought there was going to be some kind of twist here. But like I said, with her being involved somehow, or maybe even Jeremy Renner being the killer, I thought that was a possibility. Um, but uh, it was very light on twists and uh, unbelievability. It was very believable in how it kind of ends, and uh, I like that. Richard, you've been pretty silent here. Um, what you got? Any more thoughts on? Well, again, uh, I mean, there's or... it's a lot of woods, you know. So I'm just sort of <laughs> biding my time. <laughs> No, it's uh you're right. It's it's interesting. It kind of plays off this existing context we have of these cheap thrills in in movies of the twist and the the burn to things. And I think those false flags because of you know, the awareness we have watching other other movies play really well because you are thinking the whole time um kind of anticipating certain things and then kind of falling victim to those anticipations. I think that's really smart screenwriting. I think that's really smart direction. Uh, the whole thing was was uh, super interesting. Awesome. Anybody have any thoughts on the ending or spoiler territory? We're in spoilers now. Um, that's really it. I, I okay. guess I was kind of surprised. Just, just, sorry, John. I guess the only thing that surprised me about okay. the ending was 
it was just a bunch of drunk idiots, mm-hmm. you know, that were behind this. I thought it would be more sinister. There'd be some kind of motive other than just, nope, we're really horny up here and <laughs> we're really drunk too. Yeah, like that was it. Yeah, you know, I think that's I think that's know. part of the deal though. That's part of the deal. Is how like, sad it is is because yeah, exactly. That's, I think that's his that's his point with with if you want to get deeper into the meaning behind all you know behind an action movie, uh, I think. We tend in 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 movies we tend to like equate all bad things to like some like the mob is involved or like there's a you know there's just a serial killer that's wandering around killing everybody and that's what that's what ultimately led to this and all this sort of thing and you know that's not certainly there are serial killers certainly there are there is mob involvement and stuff but more often than not so you see something tragic like this on the news. And it's something stupid like this, you know, it's, we got, we got drunk and the worst parts of ourselves came out or this was over drugs, you know, or something like that. And so I felt like I thought that was actually, I was glad that it ended up being that direction because I felt like that added to, I don't want to say the ambiance, but it definitely brought a little more depth to the movie by being less i don't know less committed to to some sort of deep seated awful thing that happened it's just that like you know what things are awful and that's kind of how the world works sometimes and that's a bummer but it is really true to i think to much closer to reality on that front yeah and i think that's kind of even the more tragic part too right of like you know in that trailer it had like maybe one more guy helped uh, you know, mm-hmm. defend Berthnall's character and the girlfriend. Like, it, we probably wouldn't be in that situation. I think that's what even makes it, you know, a little bit more tragic. And I don't know how you guys feel about John Berthnall, but I'm kind of in a weird spot. Maybe, like, this is just me. Like, I he's just John Berthnall and everything. And I don't know. Like, I feel like every time I see him, he's just always kind of playing that bad guy. You know, so I was kind of, you know, when he showed up, I was like, ugh. I don't know if you guys kind of had... Mm-hmm that feeling at all like is he gonna do the whole um john Berthnall thing that kind of had me <laughs> worried a little bit yeah i'm not a huge fan of his but i i think he's fine i think he's more i I think he's got a little more range than than that he's good as like punisher and stuff i just think this is what he's going to be cast as for the rest of his prime is this yeah. kind of character so but he did this quite well and yeah he's in the movie for five minutes and then he's that he was fine same same as sicario he's really good he's you know i i think an important part of what happens in sicario but not like he's certainly not you know build you know or anything like that he's he's fine i thought he did fine in this in that role i did too i had no problem with him i think he's solid he does what he does and you get what you get i think he uh yeah he's typecast but for a reason um well, it was good to see him as a good guy, too. I think that was kind of refreshing. He was sure. the good guy. You don't really expect that when the scene starts, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, that's the way it ends up. So, uh, any closing thoughts on this? I, I think this is a solid, solid movie. I don't know if it's one of my favorites of the year, just because of the dark nature of it. I don't know how many times I'll revisit it. I certainly appreciate it. I certainly... I'm looking forward to Taylor Sheridan continuing what he does. Um, I understand he's doing a series right now for Netflix, I believe, called Yellowstone with Kevin Costner, or he's doing a Yellowstone movie of some kind or something. I don't know if that's the same project, but I know he's doing 
something with Yellowstone and Kevin Costner and something with Netflix. I don't know if that's the same thing. And he said he's written a bunch of other movies too. Um, the ones that Sicario and Hell or High Water and this, they're the ones that got made. They're all kind of similar subject matter, but he's like, he said he's written different stuff that's um, not, you know, in this kind of genre. Uh, he wrote a movie about the first bomb squad in like New York City, uh, a police bomb squad in like 1915 or something like that. That he's huh. trying to get that made, and he's got other other stuff. Um, fun fact: he all he actually wanted Chris Pine to do this instead of Jeremy Renner. Uh, actually, he wanted Jeremy Renner, but Jeremy Renner was booked with Arrival. And Richard, you said he's not a movie star. I think he's a good actor, just not in a leading role. Like I'll see him in any blockbuster oh, as long as he's not yeah. leading the blockbuster. I'm fine with him. I'm fine with him in in Avengers, and I'm fine with him in in Mission Impossible. You know. Uh, I just don't want him in Born, like leading the thing. You know, that mm-hmm. that's where Same. they kind of made a mistake. So he was fine in Arrival, but yeah, he was filming Arrival when they were going to make this. And then I guess the production moved back or they didn't end up needing him. And they went to Chris Pine, but Chris Pine was doing Wonder Woman, couldn't make it work. And uh, by the time that uh, they actually needed Renner, he was done with Arrival and, and like basically went straight into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really smart choice of him to kind of squeeze this in there. I'm sure he was tired and all that, but, uh, this kind of keeps his credibility for me at least. And, uh, this gives me another two years of runner juice, you know, <laughs> like I was, <laughs> he was going to need to do something, uh, other than, than Hawkeye. It's, uh, my, my independent cinema view of, of Renner was, was fading fast and now it's, now it's back up. So, I appreciate that. And Elizabeth Olsen, like you said earlier, she's very good. I don't know why people complain about the Olsen twins not being actors. She's ten times the Olsen <laughs> yeah, that we, yeah. we would ever need. She's gorgeous and super talented and self-aware and, yeah, we we don't need you, Mary-Kate and Ashley. Screw you. <laughs> we, got, we got the better Olsen. We, we got the Olsen we... we got, I got hostile quick. We maybe, not, we maybe didn't get the Olsen we want, but we got the Olsen we deserve. Thank you. Um, okay. Uh, grades for this... Um, let's round it out here. I'm gonna give this a solid A. Mm-hmm. Solid A? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm with you. It's an A, low A, high A minus. I think. I, I my main complaint, quote unquote, complaint with the whole thing is I think the action down the stretch gets is a little inconsistent and a little excessive. Like sometimes the the bullet literally blasts a dude. 14 feet backwards and sometimes it just drops him dead in his tracks that kind of thing is like very very minimal complaint in addition to some of the some of the stuff you said can of like the the storyline tends to wander just a little bit here and there and I, I think that to me that's all that is all signs of like of a new director who if he made this same movie five years from now maybe that gets uh gets evened out just a little bit but overall it's a really really good movie and i think we're in for a lot of great things from this guy for uh for years to come uh richard how about you yeah i'm gonna go with a solid just because it's the woods i'm gonna go a (laughs) minus it's the forest i think there's a difference is there a difference we need are there any horticulturists out there that can Whoa, whoa. Hold on, man. Jeez. What'd you call me? There there, there goes that you're explicit. You're surprised that rolled off the tongue as naturally as it did. I didn't even fumble that. 
Uh, if you are, if you went to, uh, you know, I guess, uh, agricultural college, and you can tell us the difference between the forest and the woods, I would love to know. Um, but until then, uh, John, what are you going to grade this at? Uh, I think I'm going to grade an A, and I think uh, I kind of one last little major thought on it. Um, I think one of the major things that really works at my kind of quote unquote rule of thumb for like flashback stuff, I feel like it works better when it reveals character, not necessarily plot. Um, but I think you use it effectively, you know, flashing back to kind of push the plot where something like a glass castle, you know, kind of struggled to do both. Um, but I think he, he used that effectively, um, and I think it worked. I, it's going to be in my, my top five for the year, for sure. Wow. Bold prediction. Okay. Let's uh, move on here and hit a weekly recommend. Okay. Weekly recommend. Go ahead, Brian. I'm going to recommend a book uh, that I just finished as our as baseball season is winding down. I got into a, uh, a discussion about sports and baseball players and stuff with a uh, with a, a, somebody from my church, and start. I realized I've had this book sitting on my shelf for years and hadn't read it, so I've, I finally pulled it down and, and finished it. And uh, one of the one of the best sports books I've I've ever read. It's called The Last Boy. It's about Mickey Mantle, uh, written by Jane Levy in I think 2010. I've read other Mickey Mantle is a fascinating person and and a, had an incredible career. I mean that's that's one of the I don't know two or three best baseball players of of the modern era for sure and um, and lived a really interesting at times um, very depressing life and uh, so I, I've read other books about Mantle and and even a couple that he's authored or or participated in. Uh, but this one was, to me, was the most um, immersive and uh, overall just had the most to say. I learned a lot about him and and uh, his upbringing and his career and whatnot. It's man, it's it's really good. Jane Levy's a great, great sports writer, one of the best of her uh, her generation. And uh, the whole bit is she she kind of mixes back and forth. It's a partly the story of from his literally from birth up through his death and then every uh every i don't know 75 or 100 pages she jumps back to uh, a two-day interview that she had with him in 1983 so she goes back to her notes from this uh this big piece that she wrote on him and um inserts that information into what's happening in his real life and stuff like that and it's man it's it's really well written and gave me a, a new um, sense of understanding for for Mantle and for everybody around him and uh, like I said one of the, one of the better sports books that I've that I've uh, read this far so uh, check that out again it's called the lost boy by Jane levy awesome Richard mine's gonna be simple it's that time of year I'm gonna go sports as well like Brian it's time to get red zone it's the best. Yeah. The only way to do it, I recommend NFL Red Zone available through various cable providers and satellite providers and probably digital providers as well. Yep. Pretty pretty nice. Pretty, it's, pretty uh, nice. Basically what it is, if you don't know, uh, it's a channel that airs during NFL games on Sundays and it shows all the games kind of on one channel and it flashes back and forth between games automatically 
depending on who's close to scoring, where the action is. They have people in a studio that kind of lead the way. You don't. It's not up to you to to flip between games. It does it based on um, a couple of different factors. And seriously, you'll you won't miss any action. Any anything worth showing, they will show. And I've I've not been let down by Red Zone. Uh, if if the hesitation is, I, I want to see every game. I want to see every play. I want to see all the big plays. You will see plenty on mm-hmm. there. Um, the best. So it is a little more expensive. I think it's like a separate add on mm-hmm. or something like that. But it's worth it if you yeah. watch football on Sundays for sure. And I, if you if you listen to our Mad About Sports episode that we teased earlier, I might talk about regional sports and things like that in the NFL it's, it's pretty bad with the game of the week and all that s- stuff um mm-hmm. so yeah. that's a it's a great gotta way go, to circle gotta go that. red zone gotta go red yeah. zone uh yeah. if yeah. you're if you listen to my recommendation for PlayStation View a few months ago 10 bucks a month to add on red zone so totally wow. totally worth it for me so that's what 40 bucks for the whole season pretty much that's totally yeah, worth basically. it basically yeah totally mm-hmm. worth it um okay i'm going to recommend a documentary. I'm not sure if I've recommended it before, but I've definitely mentioned it in passing or something. Um, it's uh, the Wilco documentary. I'm trying to break your heart. I've, Great movie. It's a uh, really, really well done, and um, it was recorded actually when they were doing the album Yankee Hotel Foxtrot back in the early aughts. I believe 2001, two, something like that. I- I think the record came out of one, maybe earlier too, yeah. but I think it takes place in 2000 or so. And um, it's a documentary about the band Wilco. They're an indie rock band, and it's about them just kind of making their album and, and finding their way. Uh, but it's all shot in black and white. It's really, really well shot. And Sam Jones uh, directed it. I don't know uh, if you're familiar with him, but he did that uh, Roadies series. He did that basement tapes documentary that we mentioned uh, on the show before with Elvis Costello and uh, Marcus Mumford and all that. That's a really good documentary I've, I've recommended before. So yeah, if you like indie rock, if you like Wilco, if you've never seen this, definitely worth your time. A lot of good live performances, and it sheds the light on um, when they were making the album. They they liked it. They thought it was great, you know. But they ended up like the label didn't like the album. And uh, they basically became free agents. And long story short, that, that that album became one of the the top indie albums of all time, like the most well-renowned, you know, respected indie album, indie rock albums ever. And it's just about them being rejected and no one getting it at first. But then, ten years later, twenty years later, it's become this big masterpiece album. So, uh, really good stuff, Wilco. I'm trying to break your heart. The documentary. I believe you can download it on iTunes. Is what I did. Sweet. Okay, John, what's your recommend before we get out? Uh, all right, it's this great little uh, independent movie, uh, Precious, based on the novel Push by. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I'm wow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I am going to recommend uh, an audio book. I'm cruising through Audible. Uh, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. I'm sure you guys have probably seen. Uh, that little clip he did on YouTube talking about when he was in the workplace. So, uh, pretty interesting guy. Uh, it's, has a lot to say in the book, talks about kind of people and culture, um, you know, how it affects you as a company and, you know, how you can kind of take that into your workplace. And, um, 
a lot of good stuff in there. I definitely uh, worth checking out for sure. Boom. Good stuff. Uh, well, until next time, what are we talking next week? It, I believe. Yeah, it. And uh, we're talking a little bonus talk with Brian and the Princess Bride, too. So look out for that. There Make might sure. be a solo episode around the Maybe. corner. Don't you tease it. Don't, Don't you, tease it. you tease it. Again. Don't you put on your thermals. Okay. Until then, where can we find you online, Brian? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter, which hopefully will be out next week. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on all social media, media uh, or at a Sheraton near you <laughs> at Richard Barden uh, and the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter, which will be out next week. Uh, Mr. John Manasco, where can I find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at John Manasco. Uh, and we also do a movie podcast. I just added a new co-host. Traitor. I know. Uh, you can find a plot demands it on uh, all those good streaming services, things like that. And uh, you can find me on the Twitter at Kent Garrison, KentGarrison.com, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Tinder. Hit me up. By the way, <laughs> I'm the only... Uh, is, he, is he joking? I can't tell. Officially the only uh, single member of Mad About Movies as of a couple weeks ago. So. Uh, Richard's oh, locked up. Bad. Brian's locked up for the fifth time. I mean, time. I mean <laughs> we'll see. contracts are just contracts, you know? <laughs> are, are you right. plotting your Mad About Kent uh, offshoot? No, uh, that's, that's going swimmingly as we speak. Um, but until then, until next time, we'll see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Thank you.